Hi, it's Robin McMahon here. I'm the host of Parenting Our Future. And if you're listening to this podcast, I want to thank you so much for being here. I also want you to know that I'm a former angry mom. I used to yell and rage and threaten and punish my kids because I wasn't getting cooperation or the behavior that I felt I should be getting. And I struggled for many years, not knowing how to change or knowing what to do differently. It wasn't until I found the world of peaceful parenting that I learned why my kids acted the way they did and also why I was so angry and triggered. I was able to heal my anger and leave my triggers behind so that I could focus on being the calm and confident parent I always expected myself to be. I can tell you that feeling connected to your kids is the best feeling in the world. My two boys are teenagers now and we have a strong relationship that is rooted in deep connection. And where there is connection, there's cooperation. Parenting is the most important job we do but it's the hardest job we do. And we do it without understanding the fundamentals of the way our kids grow and develop. We do it without knowing the way their brains work or what their behavior is actually really telling us. So it's no wonder it's so hard. And it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say, this is harder than I thought it would be. And that's where I come in. I can help you and I can support you so that you can have the cooperation and enjoy being a parent. You can book a free call with me on my website, parentingforconnection.com. And if you want to download my free guide, how to turn a no into cooperation, go to triggerfreeparents.com. Really hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Parenting Our Future. What's one of the biggest things that we want to focus on in parenting? Well, our relationship with our partner, right? Our marriage, our partnership with whoever it is that we are co-parenting with. It is so important that we put time and effort into maintaining that relationship. And thankfully, I have an expert here to talk all about how to maintain love and your relationship. And actually, did you know that there is a process to falling in love and staying in love? And it's called the love path. And my guest, Kimberly Beam Holmes, is an expert in this and has been teaching this proprietary process for over 10 years. She has an applied master's degree uh, in psychology for over 10 years and has been acting as the CEO of Marriage Helper and the CEO of her own podcast, It Starts With Attraction. Love it. And she's also a wife and mom herself. And she's been researching the ways that attraction affects people personally and in the relationships that they hold dear. I love this topic. I'm so excited to talk to you. Welcome, Kimberly. Thank you so much, Robin. I'm so excited to be here with you. Oh, that's so great. Okay. Let's talk about falling in love. You said that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Great. So yeah, it's so crazy because when you talk to people, when they're dating, maybe after they soon get married, they say it just felt right. It felt like butterflies in my stomach. I just knew it was the right person, right? All those things that you hear, but what we don't realize consciously is that there's actually a process that we're going through when we fall in love with someone. So I'll quickly go through the four parts of it because it's a four part four part process. And we call it the love path, as you said. So the first part of falling in love, the first stage, if you would say is attraction. Okay. And in attraction, it's not just how does this person look? And unfortunately we're in a society that a lot of the emphasis of attraction, if not 95% or more is placed on looks when that really is not even the most important part of attraction. So physical is part of it, but it actually is not a big part of attraction when it comes to someone looking for a long-term relationship really only matters more to people who are looking for short-term relationships like flings and one night stands, but here are the four. So P the physical is one of them, but there's also intellectual attraction. So this part of attraction is, is this a person that I enjoy having a conversation with? If I were to come home after a long day at work, would I want to just sit down and have a glass of wine or drink a beer with this person and talk about my day? Am I interested in them? Are they interesting to talk to? That's the intellectual attraction. 
Emotional attraction is the next part. And this one is all about evoking emotions within someone that they enjoy feeling. Now I have a friend several years ago, she was dating this guy and they'd been dating probably about six months. Summer came around. They started going to the pool together, the beach. And all of a sudden he started saying things to her off the cuff. Like, you know, you'd look a whole lot better in that swimsuit if you lost 15 pounds. I know every woman, hopefully men too, but every woman who hears that's like, I'm a drop an elbow. Like bring him over. I'm just going <laughs> to get out of town. Yes. Like we're going to pull a Will Smith. Can I say that? Is it too soon? But yes, we... again, I think that's now in our, uh, <laughs> in our vocabulary. Yes. I know. Uh, yeah. But basically what he was doing is he start, and that, that was one thing, but he started doing these things where she started feeling, I don't like the way I feel when I'm around him mm. because of the way he treats me, these mm. things that he says to me, all of that. That's a huge part of attraction. We want to be around people who evoke emotions within us. We enjoy feeling. We don't want to be around people who make us feel emotions. We don't enjoy feeling. Yeah. And then the final part of this is spiritual attraction. So this could have a, a uh, religious or like a formalized religion basis because that can inform your beliefs and values, but it really just has to do more with what are your beliefs and values? What are the things you're passionate about? What are your, the things that make you angry, the things that make you excited? Because we typically are attracted to those who have similar beliefs and values as we do, or someone who we perceive has better beliefs and values than we do. And we want to become more like them. So when you put all of these together, we call it the pies of attraction, physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, because all of them together format this for, it really makes up what true attraction is. It's more than how you look. It's all, all of these things. And for a long-term relationship, the most important one is the emotional attraction Mm. because at the end of the day, if we don't like being around the person because of how we feel around them, that is what will end a relationship. Yeah. Huh. That's stage one. (laughs) (laughs) That's stage one. (laughs) That's stage one. (laughs) Okay. Okay. What what else comes next then? (laughs) Do I have enough paper in front of me to write it all down? (laughs) Right. Just keep going. Just keep going. So the next stage that we go into is acceptance. Now acceptance is, well, here's the best way that I, that I can explain it. We were working with a gentleman several years ago at marriage helper. He called into the office and he said, I am really stuck because I cannot seem to have a woman go on a next date with me. Like we have a first date, but they never seem to want to go on a second. And so the people on our team who answered the phone, they said, well, what is it that leads them to like, what happens on the first date to where they don't want to go on the second? He said, well, it's on the first date that I tell them I'm a cross dresser. Yes. All of you, like all the listeners, including you, like there's all of you are like, oh my goodness, what is going to happen here? Like Uh I can see why they wouldn't want to go on a second date with them. And so, uh, our team said, all right, let's, let's talk about why now many people on our team, it was, it was specifically the person on the team who answered this call has training and he has his PhD in sexology actually. So he knows that a person who is a cross dresser, like there could be nothing else going on, but there's typically something that's happened. And so he said, tell us why you're a cross-dresser. And the guy said, because when I was six years old, my dad would beat me so much. One time he even broke my arm. I ended up in the emergency room, but he never touched my sister. And so when I dress like a woman, I feel safe. Oh my goodness. How, how many of us, when we hear the explanation and we hear the story behind it, our perception of that person changes like that. It's like, oh my gosh, like I, it might be weird that you're a cross-dresser, but I can accept that about you because I understand why I understand you. I understand the feelings behind it, not just the facts on the surface. And so that is what acceptance is. Can I accept a person for who they are, for the things they've been through, through the, the beliefs and values that they have, even if I don't necessarily agree, because I can empathize with them without wanting them to change who they are. 
And I mean, that to me is music to my ears because that relates exactly to the way I teach parenting is, you know, I mean, and that is a very dramatic example, but there's always a reason why there is the outward expression, if you will, the behavior, but how come, how come? And like that, just, I can hear everybody go, Right. Like your heart breaks. It's heartbreaking. And I wonder, and you can answer this, not me, if he was in a very safe relationship, if maybe that the, the need would dissolve because he felt safe. I wonder, I wonder. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, for situations like that, and even what we, what we teach at marriage helper is you don't reveal all of those things on date one. He, Mm -hmm. this man would just, he, I guess he was embarrassed by it. There was some shame and he just felt like he owed it to the person to tell them up front, but you shouldn't share the most private, intimate things that early in a relationship. You wait until there's some trust until, you know, you even want to extend the relationship before sharing it, but it even happens after we get married, right? Like we think at the altar, we know everything about our spouse. We don't, we definitely don't. Even if there's things from their past, they haven't shared with us, but definitely things that come forward in the future that are going to happen in order to have that safety in the relationship, we need to already be exhibiting that we will accept them. Even if we don't like what they're doing, we can accept the pain or the experience they're having. That's leading them to have that behavior. Yeah. Acceptance doesn't mean you agree. It means that you are at peace with it right? You're not fighting Mm -hmm. against it, right? And when you fight against it, that is anxiety, it's frustration, it's fear, right? There's a lot that goes into that, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. I don't want to, I don't want to stop you with your process here, um, but but I want to ask you something. (laughs) You'll keep going. And then, okay, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to relate it to the pandemic though, because, um, You just said, even when you're married to somebody, you don't necessarily know everything. And I'm going to tell you, I learned some things about my husband over the last two plus years Mm -hmm. that I didn't know at all. And now that he's home 24 seven, I know. So I'm going to park my little comment over here and I'm going to let you keep going. (laughs) But I love acceptance. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And let's come back to that, especially after we go, after we go through all of it, because it's an important point. I think all of us are feeling to some extent of that. So after, after we feel accepted in a relationship is really when it moves us to want to, to continue to dive deeper. We want to be with people. We feel like accept us. Even when we look at the research from Dr. John Gottman, university of Washington, great research on why divorce happens. Love him. So great. So great. People don't feel liked, loved, or respected. I would say acceptance goes into that as well, into the respect part of it. We all want to feel like we belong, like we matter. And so that leads us into that third stage, which you all, your listeners and you, Robin, will appreciate is a parenting podcast, which is attachment. Mm. Attachment moves us to want to commit. It really paves that safe foundation in the relationship because attachment at its core asks the question, will you be there for me when I need you? Mm. That's it. Will Mm. you be there for me? Will you be there for me to hold me, to comfort me, to let me vent to, to, to just be that support system that I need? Will you be there for me? And I learned this, not, I, I mean, I've learned it in my marriage, but I saw it best played out in my life and see how it really works. When I adopted our two kids from India, when my husband and I brought them home, our son was avoidant attachment. So he was very, uh, like he would literally push me away. He would have night terrors. And when I would pick him up to hold him, he would just literally push me away. Oh, that's so he hard. would, I know, I know it's so heartbreaking. Um, mm-hmm. but he had spent two years not really being held. So why would he trust someone, especially someone who looks different than him, that that person is going to be help that that person's going to stay, that that person cares. He wouldn't look me in the eyes. And I remembered the way I built the trust, the way I showed him, I will be there for you mm. no matter what I will meet your needs. Um, Cause that's how we do it first, right? We meet their actual needs that they have. So I would just take Cheerios and I would hold them in front of my eyes until he would look at me even just briefly so that he could start seeing I'm feeding you. I'm giving you sustenance. I'm giving you what you need. 
And then over time, he would start to mimic my facial expressions. And then over time, he would start to smile and hug until, until he became more in the securely attached. And you just, you see it, like you see it with your kid, you see it with all of those relationships you have. And it, that has been so transformative to me. Mm. How can I be there for people, those that I love Mm. when they need me and make sure that they know that I love them that much. And how often, you know, do you say, or does your spouse say to you, you know, what do you need right now? What can I do for you right now? Not enough. Not a lot. Like, I, yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, I have a great marriage, but like, he's never come up and said that to me. Right. Right. Yeah. My husband, I think he's done it like twice. Yeah. And I took a picture of one of the times because he was wearing a shirt that said, I'm here to serve you. It was like a serve church from a church event or a serve church or serve shirt. Goodness. I can't even say it. And I'm like, oh, here's how you can serve me. <laughs> if you wore that shirt, you're going to be up for it. <laughs> what a great question thank you for kind of asking by wearing the shirt yeah yeah he's like never wearing the shirt right it's gone I haven't seen it in years I don't know what happened to it I gotta get I gotta get I gotta get that shirt somewhere at a goodwill there's a shirt that we all need our husbands to have yeah but no it's true it's true we don't we don't ask it often enough what do you need how can I be here for you today it's an important question well and don't you find and this may be going off course a little bit, but you know, here, here's what I see a lot in, in, you know, in the adults, the, the males that are out there right now, the way that we've typically parented boys is giving them a really limited language, uh, mm-hmm. emotional language, right? So mm-hmm. mad, sad, glad we often don't give them empathy. It's suck it up, get over it, you know, be, be a man, yeah. you know what you can't b- big boys don't cry, stuff like that. And so then when it comes to being in our marriages, they don't have access to that because they never learned it. They don't know how Mm -hmm. to do it. You know, and and naturally Mm -hmm. women are, you know, as we know, a little bit more nurturing. And so we're able Mm -hmm. to, and we're also given a cornucopia of emotions. Like, you know, do you have butterflies in your tummy? Are you a little nervous or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is, but we don't say that to boys. And so that holds a lot of men back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, you know, there are times where I sort of defend men and say, you know, it can always be learned. And he doesn't do it because he just doesn't know. He hasn't made those neural pathways really to know, to connect this with empathy, but they can learn and teach. And I had this great example with my husband not too long ago, because poor poor guy has no, no choice, right? Like no choice with me as his wife and our kids and this whole thing. And I, and I, I had this really bad day. I, I probably mentioned it before in the podcast, but just really rough day. And he did the most amazing thing for me. I was like, I was just upset and and he's like, well, what's going on? And I said, well, this, 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 that's happening to me, right? And he, he said, oh, that is hard. And I was like, oh, yeah, it is hard. And it was just like a puddle of goo, even when I think about it now, you know, like how nice that was. That all, that's all yes. he did. He didn't offer to help. He didn't offer suggestions. He just said that is hard. I love it. I love it. It's good. Anyway, okay. Just wanted, wanted to add that in. I love it. Well, and- this is also a good, because I think the, I think you and I, because we are in this world and we do this stuff, there's some unspoken things that we are assuming maybe the listeners know, which is, but I'll just say it here. So like when your husband did that, when we thank him, which I don't I'm guessing you probably thanked him. Like, thank you for doing that. That was so helpful. That is what helps it to happen again. Yeah. And I think that's what we can sometimes, we know you probably, you do this with parenting. I know that you tell people about this with parenting because it's that positive reinforcement. It doesn't go away when you become an adult. No, we all need to be, like you said, liked, loved, accepted. Everybody does. That is a basic human need, right? Yeah. 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 And then, and tell me like, if you liked it, thank me for it. And then I'm like, oh, I'll do it again because Mm. that was what they needed. So just a little, good. little side tip, but yeah. It's, okay. It's good. Yeah, absolutely. So okay. Good. Yeah. So good. Fourth stage. Here we are. The final okay. stage of the okay, final stage. We'll, we'll finish it out. So this one is aspiration and aspiration moves us to want to collaborate with each other. 
I know, Robin, you see this with your parents. A lot of the listeners, this is their life where you can think back to when you were dating and you had a shared goal of getting engaged. You get engaged, you have a shared goal of getting married. You get married, you have a shared goal of having the house with the white picket fence and two and a half kids. And then you get that. And what's next? We typically don't dream with our spouse past there. And life begins to pull us apart. And if there's nothing that's going to bring our focus and our vision back together, then life can continue to pull us apart until it splits us apart. And so aspiration, this is the stage that's all about what can you look towards? What can you create together that gives you a shared purpose, a shared meaning as a couple separately than even as a family, but also as a family, because we know from the research on strong families that strong families even have shared values and meanings and things they look forward to doing together. It could be something as simple as camping one weekend in the summer, every single year or pizza night, every Friday night. But what are those habits, those rituals, those shared meanings that you can bring into the relationships because that will cement it together and make it strong. That is really good. That's really, really good. And so, so true. So yeah. true. Yeah. Wow. I, I really like that. I really, I really like that. And, and I'm going to use it just so you know, because uh, I think that's great. Like having family goals, you know, I talk a lot about family mm-hmm. values, which relate to boundaries, but to have family goals too, um, wow. is great. And I also know that it's not always easy. A lot of stuff gets in the way, you know, um, things happen, right? And and we have struggled with some mental health stuff with, you know, especially my oldest and mm-hmm. a little bit with my youngest. And that has gotten in the way of being able to have those shared values. When I've got two kids that are so completely different, it's not mm-hmm. easy. It's really not easy. And they're teenagers and, 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 you know, so uh, it, it can be tough. It can be tough. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So can we go back to the pandemic? So, you know, I still think, you know, like I told you before we recorded, I really don't want to talk about the pandemic anymore because I think, you know, we don't want to hear about it, but let's be honest. It has created some damage in our relationships uh, and in many other areas. And so what are the things that you're seeing as it relates to pandemic problems in relationships? Is there a trend that you see, or maybe just a collection of things that, you know, are coming up on a regular basis that maybe are because of it? The biggest thing we're seeing is for so many years, people had been able to sweep problems under a rug. Mm. And then with the pandemic, with being in close proximity to this person all of the time, not being able to leave the house for weeks and just like, you're with this person, you can't hide it under the rug anymore. The rug was taken away. Everything came up. And because there was stress, world stress that we were all experiencing and to some extent still experiencing, it was a change of all behavior because every, every routine that we had in our lives was changed all of it. Yeah. And so all of that, like that would just be stressful in and of itself. But then when you're with someone and both of you are stressed and you haven't been able to, to handle conflict. Well, anyway, you've already been hiding under these things, all the rug. It's just been the whirlwind needed for some relationships to, to move towards getting better. But unfortunately for some relationships, it's the whirlwind that they're like, maybe we aren't meant to be, maybe this is too much to handle. Mm -hmm. And so that's most, it's mostly built up tension. It can look different ways. It can look like one person saying, you know what, this is all I needed to, to really think I should pursue a divorce for some people. It's I, it, they maybe weren't looking for it, but they led into an affair, either physical or emotional, because they wanted to be with someone who made them feel differently than what they felt at home. Those are the most common things that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, there was something right, like six, eight months after the pandemic happened, there was this, this, uh, trending thing called COVID. What was it called? Like a COVID divorce or a pandemic divorce. Have you heard of this? No. So the idea was people were so stressed out that they thought we'll just divorce. I get a week to myself every, every other week. And every other week I get to be a parent and I'll get the best of both lives, the best of both worlds. But what no one was considering was how that's going to affect the kids. So like kidding, 
Yeah, exactly. So the parents were like, oh yeah, this is perfect. Like, I don't really like being around you anyway, but instead of them working out their relationship to be strong, now they're just dragging the kids back and forth or they're keeping the kids in the same house and just like switching houses back and forth. But it's still even more instability for these children who like heaven knows how much they have had to process what's going on the past three years. So those are some trends that, that I've been seeing. Well, and here's the thing that you definitely, uh, don't know and, have no choice but to handle after the fact, if you did something like that, is that when our relationship isn't going well, our kids feel unstable and we become figures of instability for them because we're up and down. Mm -hmm. We say one thing, one minute, we say the opposite the next. And yeah, then they don't think that we are these strong pillars of support that they actually really need. And it shows up in their behavior. And now all of a sudden we got kids, we got problem kids, but, but, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I said to you too, that, that oftentimes I'll work with a couple Mm -hmm. and it's the relationship. That's the problem that's causing the dysfunction in their family, not so much their child, their child is just reacting to the instability. And that is a major, major thing that we need to be aware of. We really need to shine a light on that, you know, Mm -hmm. because our kids are always looking up to us to know what to say, how to act you know, what to think. Yes. And that's not just because, you know, we're mod- modeling, but it's, it's also, we've got mirror neurons in our brain. So we're always looking to others for influence. And mm. of course, parents are the most influential people in our lives. And yeah, it sounds great to have a, a week off of the hard stuff, but at what cost, at what cost? At, yeah. At what cost? Absolutely. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know that it ever goes away that a, that a young child's natural response when they get hurt is to look at how, how are my parents going to react? I mean, I'm in my thirties and I still, when something big happens, like I call my parents, what do you think about this? Like, what, what is your reaction? Help stabilize me. And I had great, I mean, my parents were, um, so my parent, my, we haven't gotten into this, but my my parents were married twice. Their first marriage had my two older kids or my two older sisters. And then my parents got divorced for three years, got remarried to each other, and then had me as a celebration of their remarriage. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes. And so it's an amazing story, but another interesting part of it is I have two sisters who experienced the, the, the conflict, the separation, the divorce of the same parents that I have had a stable, amazing modeling relationship with and how it's affected both of us so differently. How interesting. And that's the thing. It does stay with you for life. Mm-hmm. It's not like kids are resilient, but adults aren't. That's, that's what I think, you know, kids, <laughs> you know, can make their way through it. But as adults, yeah. we are not so resilient, are we? <laughs> well, oh my gosh. We can be, we can be, we have to learn it. We have sure. to really do the work, right? That's really what it's sure. about is doing the work and it doesn't come naturally. Sure. We have to learn it. We have to have people like you in our lives, you know, people like me who t- show you what's really going on because we also have blind spots that we just can't see. We just don't know. Right. We just don't know. Like that, that sweet man, you know, he didn't know what really the, right. the impact of the cross dressing yes. and so on. So, okay. So there's four steps to falling in love and really staying in love. Like you said, how do we mm-hmm. re-fall in love then? How do we do that? You start back at the beginning of the love path. Okay. So it's, it's not just a, we did it, we're done. It's not like running a marathon where there's an end goal. And then you can say, you did it. I have the trophy and it's done. Yeah. Don't have to do it again. It's a daily continual process. So many of the couples that we work with at Marriage Helper, we, we're we working with those couples where it's one spouse who wants out of the marriage and one spouse who's wanting to save it. And so we're only working with that spouse who wants to save it. And the first two things that we teach them, here's the first two things that you do. Number one, you start working on yourself. You yeah. work on those pies because you can't control anything about your spouse. You can't control what they're doing, what they're saying who they're doing it with. The only thing you can do is work on becoming the best you, you can be Mm. number one for you, because it's the best thing for you and your future, no matter what happens. But number two, if anything works as a beginning point to help bring your spouse back, or at least get them to think twice before they make a final decision, 
then this will. So you don't make that your, your main focus point that the, if it brings, you know, I'm only doing this to bring them back. You make the focus point being it's the best thing for you. The secondary benefit has to do with them. So that's the first thing work on your pies. And then the second thing we teach is you have to change the way you're communicating because a lot of people in the situation we're in are fighting or ignoring each other. There's just very unhealthy communication patterns that have probably led them to where they are. And so we teach a method called smart contact. And in that we teach it's smart as an acronym. Each part of it is, uh, is a, a little sentence, like, here's what you do to okay. help them stop the craziness in the communication and calm it down to restabilize the way that they're talking to each other. Love it. Love it. Love it. So, um, can you give us an idea of what smart really is? Yes, I can. Okay. <laughs> oh, briefly. Let's see how quick I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know we don't want this to go on forever, although it could, and it would be wonderful. So okay. that's right. That's right. Okay. So the S stands for stop these push behaviors. Now push is another acronym. I'm all about acronyms. Oh my gosh. I love it. <laughs> all about acronyms. But the push behaviors are things like pleading, begging, whining, crying. So many times, especially when you have a spouse who wants out of the marriage, it is a natural response for the person who wants to save it to be so overcome with emotion. Like, like we're not telling people don't feel sad, right? We're not doing what we said with our young boys, like don't feel sad, buck it up. But, but sometimes we do it in a way that we're trying to manipulate them to stay. Like if you, if I can just like follow you out to the car and drag your ankles, like put myself down and drag your ankles. These are things people do. Um, these are things that I did when my marriage was in crisis. Like it's, mm. we don't become the best versions of ourselves. Mm. And it's that response again, like we have in childhood with separation anxiety. It's like, if I can get my mom or my dad to see how sad I am, how upset I am, maybe they'll stay because they care so much about me. And, and that's what will make them stay. Well, it doesn't work well as kids and it's not going to work well as adults either. It just pushes your spouse further away. They're like, you're crazy. Of course I want to get away from you. Yeah. Even more now. (laughs) Yeah. Even for real, even more. Um, so pleading, begging, whining, manipulating the U stands for unengaging. So the other side of that is I'm just going to ignore you because then you'll want to come back to me. And we're starting to see for anyone in versed in attachment theory, these are some of the attachment styles that are kind of coming out in it. The S stands for starting unnecessary fights. So the mindset behind Mm -hmm. this is, okay, if you won't talk to me, then I'm just going to push your buttons and make you talk to me. I'm going to get some kind of response out of you so that we can at least talk. And the H stands for hovering, tracking, or controlling behavior. So these are things like breaking into their social media, prying into their email, even installing GPS trackers on their phone or in their car, or maybe even like taking them off the bank account so that they're not able to have access to money. All of these things are things we do when we are actually so in love that we're trying to save the marriage. But the only thing it does is pisses off the spouse who wants out and drives them further away. So the first thing in smart contact is stop doing that. Got it. Yeah, totally. I would, I would, I would run for the hills if somebody was yeah. doing all that stuff to me, like get out right? of my life. Okay. Right. Okay. What's the M? M is manage quote unquote business items. So instead of talking about these highly charged relationship issues, start only talking about things that are non-relational. So especially if you have kids, which with this podcast, you are, I, I would assume then talk about like, Hey, here's what happened at school today with Timmy. Here's the grades he got, or for Ellie at ballet, like she did such a great job. Here's a video of her. So you take these things that are more non-emotional, but things you should talk to your, to your co-parent about anyway, and use that as a basis for communication and only talk about those things for a period of time. Okay. So manage these business items together. So these non-emotional type of items, the A stands for allow your spouse to respond to you. So this is because there's some lines of thought out there in the relationship world that you should just ignore your spouse. It's called no contact. You should ignore them for 30, 60, maybe even 90 days. And the thought process behind that from those people is absence makes the heart grow fonder. And if you ignore them, then they'll come crawling back to you. No, if you ignore them, they're going to be like, oh, they're fine without me. Like, fine. Thank God she's gone. (laughs) Yeah. Like this is the piece that I've been wanting. 
So we yeah. definitely don't say don't do no contact because it's a manipulation tactic, but also don't like overbear them with tons of communication. Just like chill, take it with the things we're talking about. But if they start to open up to you, if you share that little video from ballet and they're like, oh, cool. How is she doing in school? Then continue the conversation as it makes sense to do so. And then respond is the R, respond in a way that is strong and calm and gentle. So even if they share with you something that's hard for you to hear, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, try your best to accept where they are, even if you don't accept the behavior. So even if they share something hard, like, you know, I'm, I'm just glad I've been out of the house for two weeks. I'm, it's been really nice to have some peace. Try not to react to that with, why would you say something so hurtful? How could you be so terrible? Try and respond instead with something like, I understand that's how you feel. Hopefully we can get back to where, to where it's nice to be in each other's company together. And then the T stands for take it one day at a time because you're surely going to mess up some days, but that doesn't mean that the next day you can't get right back on it and try the whole process again. That is smart contact. So, um, let me ask you about couples that are already divorced. Okay. This to me sounds like a really great way to manage that kind of a relationship, even when there's animosity. Yeah. I've never thought about it that way, but you're right. Cause it's just a simple framework for how to communicate without fighting. It's really about not attaching to what the other person says, not Mm -hmm. taking it personal and holding yourself in integrity. It sounds like, yeah. Right. Like not taking the bait, not taking the bait, not taking the bait. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's make an acronym out of bait. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Give me five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You got this. You got this. I I say that with parents too. Like, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Just because your kids said, shut up and get out of my room or get out of my face. No, no, no. Don't you dare attach to that. You just wait. You just wait, put it aside for a second, find out what's underneath. Then we bring it back and say, okay, dude, well, you know, let's not talk like that, you know, or, you know, but you know what, Robin? So here's my question for you through your work in parents and the work that you do. What is it that gets people to move from being super reactional to being able to say, I don't have to take that bait. Like there's something Mm. that happens there and it's a trial and error. Is it self-awareness? Like, what is that one thing? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's understanding a couple of different things. One is nothing is ever personal that I know that to be true. Okay. So Mm. you may say you hate me. You don't Mm. like me, but that's because you're feeling a certain way you are. I have triggered something in you that makes you feel something. And then you communicate back to me and say, well, Robin, you're such a snob or you're not nice, or you were rude. Mm. And you're saying that because I felt you, you felt offended. You felt whatever, whatever. Right. But then what goes along with that is the thought that we have in our head. So our mind is Maya, right? Our mind is crazy. And we often believe the thoughts that are in our heads, but the thoughts that we have are not facts. So I, I liken it to, uh, literally a train, like a train of thought and all the, all day, every day we have, you know, a train running through our head and each little car is a thought, right? And sometimes we're like, Ooh, that one fits. Oh, I like that one, but it doesn't mean it's true. But Mm. because we're like, Ooh, that one seems to fit. Like he only, he only married me for the skinny me. Let's say he only Mm. likes the skinny me. Well, Mm. is that true? Can you prove that in a court of law? No, it's not true. But now your mind is tuned into that. And because we have confirmation bias, we're mm-hmm. saying, oh, well, uh, every, I'm looking for it now. I'm looking at yeah. him, looking at me and looking me up and down and just assuming that he's saying, oh, I right. wish you were skinnier. Right? right. So what I teach parents to do is to really notice that internal dialogue. Right. Then I ask them, I say, okay, so th- this is the cognitive behavioral therapy triangle. And so this is a really long answer to your question. So I, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to go. Through I love it. Really it. I okay. love it. We're going to geek out. Yeah, I know. Right. I love it so much. So, at, you know, the, the triangle at the top is your thoughts or it could be your feelings, right? Either, either one, but mm-hmm. the top of the triangle, mm-hmm. let's say are your thoughts, right? He only loves me 
when I weigh a certain amount. He only likes me skinny. He only thinks I'm beautiful when I'm skinny, which makes me feel less than. It makes me feel disregarded. It makes me feel unappreciated for all the mm-hmm. things that I do and makes me feel resentment because I, you didn't have to have all these babies. I did. And you don't know what my body's been through, blah, 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 blah. Well, which is actually even more thoughts. So we go to that. And then that, the, the, uh, the last corner of the triangle is our reaction to it. So that's right. when we go on attack. Like, how dare you not appreciate yeah. me for all that I've done for you? And it's not my fault that I had to gain all this, blah, 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 blah. And then when I ask people is, okay, so that is a thought that doesn't serve you. You don't even know that it's true because right. our brain actually doesn't know the difference between fantasy and reality. And therefore, whatever you tell it, it believes and we can say 150 words a minute, but we can think 10 times as fast. So now, because you've repeated it over and over and over again, it becomes a neural pathway in your brain. And every time you get that sideways look, boom, it goes to that neural pathway that says, he doesn't love me. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, which is really what you boil that down to. Right. Right. And so what I tell, what I ask people, and so this is related to parenting, obviously, like my kid's a brat or, you know, I'm not good enough at this, at being a mom, or I can't handle this. And I should have never had kids, whatever it is that they're saying to themselves, which I know sounds nasty and horrible, but we all have those horrible thoughts. My prevailing one before I did this work was you ruin everything. That was my thought. And then when I did the work, what does that thought cost you? Oh, well, it's costing me everything. It's costing me my self-esteem. It's costing me, it's costing me my ability to look at the situation with neutrality. Mm -hmm. It's costing me curiosity. Like, why did he look at me like that? Maybe he actually liked my outfit. And Mm -hmm. so what we do is we reprogram the brain and we're really reprogramming our subconscious mind. And that neural pathway that we had that says he doesn't love me unless I'm skinny, our brains are use dependent. So what we want to do is we want to bring in a new thought. And that new thought is like a, you know, so think of highways, right? The old thought, he doesn't love me unless I'm skinny is like a super highway of thought, right? Anytime you're even close to it, you're on that highway. This Mm. new one is like a little dirt road that's in your brain, right? But our brains, you know, use it or lose it. So we want to start to think this one over and over and over and over and over again. The new one, the one that's empowering, the one that makes you feel like I've got this, like I changed, you ruin everything to, we can work it out. We can work it out. And it even now makes me sit up a little straighter, right? And that is what you have to do over and over and over again. Anytime this one starts to creep in, you go, no, no, I am thinking this instead. And that's how you reprogram your subconscious mind. So that becomes your default setting, but it's work and it's uncomfortable and people don't want to be uncomfortable, but guess what? You're already uncomfortable. So you may as well do this because it's going to get you to a new place. (laughs) That's a good point. That's it. That's it. Answer. I love it. But you're right. You're already uncomfortable. You're already unhappy, disgruntled, wish things were different. And so, but that's what it's people don't want to hear. And I get it because I've been there too. Like we don't want to hear it has to start with you. I know. I know. I know. I know. You want to change your relationship, you change you. You want to change your kids, you change you. Oh, that's so good. Damn. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But you know what? It is so empowering when you look back and you go, I did that. Like I did this. I created my reality. Mm -hmm. I don't need to suffer anymore. And how cool is it to have the tools to know what to do? Because life is going to throw you stuff. It's going to throw you curveballs. You know, um, it's not going to be easy. And I could tell you all, like we had a bunch of different things happen over the course of the last two years. And there wasn't one size that fits all, you know, for solutions and stuff like that. You know, some stuff, my husband has a slip disc in his back right now. He could barely walk. He was, you know, like there's no manual to tell me how to handle that, you know, other than empathy, compassion, patience. But then I was overrun, you know, I was overwhelmed with stuff. Right. Anyway. So yeah, I, I think that, you know, whether you are together or apart, you really do have to force yourself to take the high road, right? Mm-hmm. Um, can I ask you one last question though? Because this really does seem to come up a lot. What do you do if you are co-parenting with somebody who's a narcissist, like has a real personality disorder? Now that may be a judgment for some people, but you know, there are some pretty toxic people out there. Mm. 
you know, I, I, what do you do? Because you also want to care for your kids. Your kids are going to be in the middle. And so I've had clients where, you know, dad is the narcissist. I'm thinking of one person in particular, uh, kids love dad because dad is Disneyland dad, literally and figuratively. Mm. And mom is the boundary keeper, this, mm. you know, the one that gets them to the dentist, the doctor gets their shots, gets their teeth cleaned, you know, all that kind of stuff, right? The, she the keeps boring them alive. <laughs> yeah. keeps them alive and thriving. <laughs> exactly. Um, how do you handle that in a, in a way that protects kids, but also protects you too, because you can get sucked down pretty easily. Yeah, man, that's a hard question, honestly, mm -hmm. because even if we just take the narcissism part out of it, which I can get on a soapbox about, cause I'm like, is there a diagnosis or are they just really selfish people? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's what I, yeah. That's what I mean. It can be a judgment too, right? Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. But it, it, so, okay. The first thing you said was how do you, when you're co-parenting, <sighs> you know, I'm a big fan of talking to your kids about it. So not talking yeah. to your kids about the other parent in a negative way, Yes, but even just talking to your kids and saying, Hey, I know you have a ton of fun when you're with your dad. And I love that you're able to have fun when you're with your dad, but I also like, let's talk about these other things that, that have to happen and how can we make it more fun here? Or, you know, what are some things that we could do that you would enjoy, but also realize I have to do all these other things. So can you help me do some of those mm -hmm. things? Um, you know more about parenting. So I don't know if that's the best answer, but I would lean into the kids, especially if you can't, the ideal is you would be able to have that conversation with the, with, the, with your co-parent and you'd be able Ideally. to get on the same page. Yeah. But there are unfortunately some situations where that's not possible. And honestly, just taking this off track a bit, the worst thing that can happen for a kid, when I did my, my master's, I looked at the effects of divorce on kids. And the worst thing that could happen is that their parents get divorced and still fight. Oh yeah. Yeah. But that's what happens. Yeah. They still, people are divorcing, but they're still fighting. They're not actually learning to co-parent well. And so if you can try to get your spouse on that same, your ex-spouse, your co-parent on that same page with you of just let's do what's best for the kids. You and yeah. I don't have to be mushy, gushy butterflies and rainbows, but we at least need to respect each other. And so what does that look like? What are, what are our core needs between the two of us? How can I honor yours? How can you help me honor mine? And how can we do that? Because it's what's best for the kids and try and take your relationship and what went wrong out of it. Cause I think that that's what happens. I think people are trying to punish their spouse, yeah, their ex-spouse because of hurt that happened in the marriage, but the only ones paying for it are your kids. hundred percent. I really love that answer. You know, and I think that again, you know, when we talk about one size fits all, it just, there's no such thing, right? Each situation is different and mm -hmm. two people have two different perspectives. And so you really have yeah. to handle that on a, on an individual basis. But I think the right. answer always is you talk to your kids about what's going on. You listen to your kids too. Yes. You open the door to say, what are you feeling? Give them the empathy, validate yeah. their feelings, never throw the other one under the bus. Even if they throw yeah. you under the bus, you've really got to be the Absolutely. better person because it will eventually work itself out. It mm -hmm. will eventually be there. Mm -hmm. So, um, so thank you so much for this. I think we're going to end it here, even though I could talk to you for so much longer, you are wonderful to talk to. You have so much wisdom and like, I like an acronym just as much as you do. So, um, thank you so much. It. And here's the greatest part. Kimberly, you are giving us a toolbox item that's really recapping what we talked about here. So thank you so much for that. That will be in the parent toolbox. Of course, if you're not a member, it's free. It's www.parent-toolbox.com. You've got to join. You've got to join because you have access to so many different tools for all different areas in your parenting. And I want you to have the best time and I want you to raise the best kids. So that's what that's all about. And so, uh, Kimberly, you do have resources for parents. And so let's just talk about how you help parents, where they can find you, because I don't know about anybody else, but if my marriage is really struggling, I would definitely want to talk to you. I love your way. 
Mm, thank you. I appreciate that. We really specialize in marriages where they're on the brink of divorce or separation or an affair has happened, or there's a crisis going on a situation where you're saying, I want to make my marriage work, but maybe my spouse doesn't. We mm. are that hope for you. We are that lifeline Aww. for you. And we teach you how you can save your marriage. We have workshops that have over a 70% success rate. It's saving marriages. Wow. We have online courses for different unique situations like boundaries in marriage. Why does my spouse hate me toolkit, uh, the smart contact toolkit, different things like that. And then we also have one-to-one marriage coaching with our marriage helper certified coaches. And so that's what we stand for. We love marriage. We believe that marriages can be saved and we are committed to walking alongside those who are wanting to do that with theirs. I love it. And, you know, I think we need to really open up the conversation to investing in monetarily in things like this, because it's going to cost you anyway. You know, I say that about parenting too. Like you, you don't think you should spend money on parenting. I don't know why not, because you didn't like, how long did you train to do what you're doing? Uh, years and years, right? Well, I've trained too, but (laughs) parents, the parents don't, you know, how long did you train for your job? How long did you do this? you know what? It doesn't come naturally. The things that we know about the way the brain works, the way behavior is developmental stages, we don't know about that. And so if you don't do it, you're going to pay in one way or another, oftentimes more than one way. And why not invite joy and connection and, and a real, real harmony in your family, you know? why not? Why not? So I, I, I just want to say, I love everything that you're doing. I want to thank you so much for this beautiful, uh, fulsome conversation that we've had. And, um, I can't wait for everyone to hear you talk and, and, uh, and then look you up because, uh, yeah, if you're struggling in your marriage, um, a 70%, uh, uh, success rate is pretty darn good. So, uh, so that's wonderful. <laughs> All right, Kimberly Holmes, thank you so much for being here. And, uh, Thank you for having me, Robin. I loved it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and